Come on, let's welcome Chapel Downtown. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. You can be seated. I want to look in the back of this room at that camera and say good morning, Chapel Downtown. Good morning, 1115. Uh, we are so excited. Unless something totally dramatic changes, it looks like we're going to hit our projection and be in our new space downtown in Scott's Edition for Easter weekend. So how many think that's pretty cool? The chapel at Scott's Edition. And so we're so excited about that. Our best days are ahead. Good morning, downtown. So excited about uh, what God's going to do this spring. How's everybody feeling today? Good? If you miss Valentine's Day, it's too late. But what a, what a great day. Thanks for being here, Valentine's Day weekend. Katie and I have started something different where we, we, uh, we'll take a trip uh, like a month or two after Valentine's Day. We did Valentine's Day with our four kids this year. We, uh, I basically bribed them, gave them each $20 to go to Target because I didn't want to go bowling. And, and then we watched a movie that they all teen, uh, tuned out at home. So it was a really special night for us. But we started a couple times a year taking a... How many know there's a vacation with kids and there's a vacation without kids? And how many know a vacation without kids is a whole nother level? That just is. Just is. So there's a bit of relationship advice for you this weekend. But uh, if you're new with us, last week we, we said we're going to spend a few weeks talking about the most important thing in our life, which is relationships that we're going to look at God's good plan for relationships in this month, which is Valentine's Day month. People are thinking of, of chocolates and, and uh, red hearts and flowers and little babies shooting arrows at each other in the sky in the clouds. And we said, man, what if we took a whole month because it's a time of year and looked at what God has to say about relationships and God's best for us. And so in that worship guide you got on the way in, there's a little teaching note sheet there. If you want to take that out, you can take that out and follow along. It's got a few spots for blanks. And then just so you know, at both campuses at our next step table, there's a little binder there if you want to collect those. Uh, you've already, you can take those. Those are free. You've already paid for them with your giving. So, uh, but there's a spot there if you want to follow along and take notes. And, and we're looking at the life of King David, and we're, he's actually a guy who crushes it on the battlefield, and he fails at home. And man, we, we're just learning this month that anybody believe you can win at work and fail at home? Right? That's just true. You can, you can win, and, and then David does that. He conquers, he extends the territory and influence of, of the people of God. He, he, in fact, is economically successful. They stockpile all they need so that his son Solomon really only has to build the temple. He's already raised all the resources. He extends their influence. But, but David got a few things wrong at home, and we're going to look at that this weekend. We started off last week with David and Bathsheba. If you missed that, it was kind of <clears throat> spicy, so you can go back and hear that uh, last week. But... Uh, <clears throat> I thought I was going to kind of clean it up this week, but David's life is such a mess. And I actually thought to myself, how many people are glad that, that your, every detail of your life isn't written in the Bible? Come on, don't look at me, 1115, like you're, no, 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 I, I'm perfect. How many are glad every detail of your life ain't in a Bible, right? Like, I mean, think of this, David, David conquered so much, and yet he had some challenges, and and, and I, wanna, I want you to see a couple of them with, with me. Uh, one of his sons named Amnon um, hurt his daughter named Tamar. So Amnon hurt his sister Tamar. And he uh, commi uh, committed abuse on her. And, and, and all of a sudden, David, the underpinnings of David's family starts to unravel. 
And one of the things David has a problem with is confronting things. He doesn't call his son out. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't challenge them. He doesn't fight for the safety of his daughter. In fact, what happens is his other son, Absalom, gets angry. Let me just show you how chaotic it is. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. So, so far, so good. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. So what starts to happen is David doesn't confront his son. He lets the bad thing happen to his family. He just he abdicates his responsibility as father, as king. He, he, he avoids it. And what happens is his other son, Absalom, says this can't be left undone. And two years go missing. And all of a sudden, Absalom hatches a plan and kills his brother Amnon. How many know we got a Dateline NBC going on in this Bible, right? Uh, where are the people you like to watch murder mysteries? Come on, raise your hand, confess in church, okay? This story's got all that. So the one brother abuses his sister. The other brother gets angry because David stays silent for two years, so he kills his brother. And, and the truth is, David doesn't do anything about that either. And he goes silent for three more years, Okay? And, and finally, Joab, who's the commander of David's army, says, you've got to bring Absalom back and do something with him. And David says, fine, but I don't want to see him. Look, look at how he just keeps avoiding conflict. But the king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom didn't see the king. This was, this was David's idea. If I just ignore it and just avoid it and pretend it didn't happen, maybe it will go away. And how many know problems in our life, if you just ignore them and don't deal with them, they do not go away, right? In fact, I won't tell you which one of my kids, but one of my kids, I discovered in the last year that they put all their dirty clothes behind their big dresser in their bedroom. One of the dressers was kind of kitty corner in the corner of the room, and there was a gap there, and so um, I'm trying not to say he or she so I don't give it away, but would, would take, when they're cleaning up their room, would just throw the clothes up over the dresser because they would disappear. And so, so a few months ago, I'm helping them clean, and I look behind it, and I see just a, and I pull the dresser out, and just, just months of, how many know kids can be nasty? Come on, somebody. Just, what is this? This person said, well, it's just easier when I clean it, just put them up over there and it cleans the room. And I said, well, just because you throw it up over there doesn't mean it's not there. It's still there. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean I can't smell it. Come on, somebody, right? I think some of us think, well, if I just throw this away and I just push it away and I don't deal with it, then, 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 then I won't have to face this. But just write this down this weekend because I think it's true in our life. Undealt with pain doesn't just go away, okay? So, so all of us have experienced pain in life. All of us will experience woundedness and mistakes. Some of them done to us. Some of them done by us. Some of them done, I mean, all of that. And the challenge in question this weekend isn't do, do we have pain, it isn't do we have wounds, it isn't do, do we, have we not had to deal with things. The question is, have we just ignored it and pushed it away and not dealt with it? In fact, Absalom gets so frustrated with his dad that he finally says, because I wanted to ask, so, so what he does is he lights the field of Joab on fire. So, so, so I want you to think of this, murder, abuse, fleeing, uh, 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 on the run, arson, right? How, how many feel like David's family? How many are feeling better about your family, right? 
Like, man, I thought we had issues. We don't got issues like this. So finally they said, Absalom, you, why'd you light the field on fire? I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't want, intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. Here's what he's saying is, the king's just ignoring me. He's just avoiding me. He's just leaving me alone. I'd, I'd rather be dealt with harshly than just ignored. And this is the story of David's life. He just avoids dealing with things. And so this week, and I know it might feel a little bit heavy, but I want us to just sort of face some things that might be true in our lives and not dwell on them and not, not nurse those wounds, but, but give them to God and realize there can be health at the other side of brokenness. How many are grateful this weekend that even if you have a past and mistakes and wounds, that God's grace, hey, hey, friends, God's grace is greater than all our problems. Can anybody say yeah to that this weekend, Right. And that's our comfort and confidence. And I think what happened is David didn't deal with these broken areas of his life. And what we're going to see happened in his life is, is, is that the pain came. But I want to show you where it came from, okay? I want you to look with me at some of the challenges David faced. And the, the first thing I would tell you is this. David grew up uh, one of eight sons. He's the youngest of eight sons. His dad's name is Jesse. And uh, Nathan the prophet comes to his dad and says, one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And I want you to see what happens. First Samuel 16. In the same way, all, of, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. How many know it would hurt your feelings if somebody told your dad, one of my kids is going to be king, and they didn't think you needed to be there? Like, why does he need to be here? It's surely not him. That's actually what happened. And David has to, first of all, experience the, the woundedness of his father not, not um, thinking he could do it, not thinking he was up for the task, and he had to deal with this in his own life. In fact, just maybe write this down this weekend, that father wounds in our life have to be healed. Father wounds do. And David experiences his dad when he, his dad gets the news that all of the sons, one of them is going to be king. His dad doesn't even think he's worthwhile to bring into the room. And man, psychologists and counselors tell us that, that being neglected and being avoided and ignored can be one of the most painful things that can happen to us. His dad doesn't even think of him being there. Not only did his dad not look out for him, but his oldest brother didn't. Now think of this, David's one of eight, so he's the youngest of eight, so his older brother would be quite a um, uh, mentor in his life, an encourager, all this. And David in 1 Samuel 17, remember David and Goliath, that's how we're going to actually end this series. But he shows up at the battlefield, and I want you to see how his brother treats him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here, he demanded. What about those few sheep? you're supposed to be taking care of. How many feel like his brother's insulting him, right? What about those few sheep? You can feel the, the shot. He says, hey, I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. So not only did David have to overcome the disappointment of his, of his father, David had to overcome the disappointment of his older brother, who instead of being a protector, looking out for his younger bro, instead of that, no, no, he insulted him. He heaped painful words about him. He didn't believe in him. He spoke down to him. Here's what I want to say this week, and here it is, that every single one of us has to overcome the pain of their past. So let's just acknowledge that. Some people come to church and try to cover it up and say, no, I don't have any issues. But how many know we all have issues? 
Should I change the sermon or are you with me? Come on. In fact, do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you and don't say issues. Say issues, okay? Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you got issues. Go ahead. Come on. Tell them that. All over the room, you got, come on downtown, you got issues, okay? And David doesn't deal with the pain of his past. He doesn't, he doesn't get at it and, 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 and there's brokenness. We don't have time to look at it. Not only did David's father disappoint him, David's oldest brother disappoint him, but he got a mentor in King Saul before he uh, rose to the throne and David got a job playing music for king and the king tried to kill him a few times. How many know it kind of screws up your relationship with your mentor when they try to kill you? Sorry about that. No, I get it, bro. But like you, I could do without the javelin being thrown at my head, right? So David, everywhere he looks, think about his dad, his brother, even the, the king who should have had a heart for God. He's been disappointed, overlooked, uh, avoided, and all of this. And David, I think this is what I'm saying this weekend. Because David didn't deal with the hurts and the wounds of his past, he brings it into his future, and he, he allows it to be kind of reproduced in a different way with his kids and his future. And I want to say this weekend that all of us have a past, but we don't have to duplicate our past. How many believe because of God's grace there can be some things that stop in your generation? generation and in your future. Anybody believe that this weekend, right? That God can have that for us. So I want to talk to you this weekend about how not to deal with your pain and then how to, how to deal with your pain. Here, here's the first idea. How, how do you not deal with your pain? Okay, here's the first thing. You don't medicate it. Come on, say that with me. You don't what? You don't, you don't medicate it. I think we live in a culture that medicates pain. That medicates pain. In fact, David, I think, tried to medicate his own pain. We can't go into it this weekend, but he, he tried to do this just in all kinds of ways. I think we do too. We do whether it's with drugs or alcohol or, or food or sex. We try to, try to cover our hurts with substances. I think we live in a culture that's more medicated than ever. In fact, you look at some of the addiction stats that are going on in our world and you look at the rise for the first time in decades of increase and in even suicide in our culture. We're living with a culture that has so much going on and yet so many things, so many things broken in us and alone. We have more technological advance, healthcare access. I mean, we have the ability to get on planes and travel across the world. And yet people, just all of us struggling with, right, with struggles in our own life. And how do I, how do I balance that? David does this. He, he, takes, a, he takes into his, life, into his life a lot of wives. Now, if you're new with us, we are not that kind of church. Okay, just so <laughs> I go on record, you're like, no, I'm at a new church. Pretty good. You know? No, uh, not there. Uh, D David takes multiple wives. He has some concubines too. I'm not going to explain that. You can email your Sunday school teacher. They'll tell you what that was, right? But David's going to fill his life with, with, with something to, to cover up the pain of what he dealt with. He's trying to medicate it. That, that's one of the challenges. Not, not only don't medicate it, but other people, instead of medicating it, they just try to overwork it. They, they motivate it, right? Like for some of you, it's not the challenge of sitting down and, and, and finding a substance that can dull your pain. It's staying so busy that you never have to sit alone in the chair and let the ghosts come back, right? 
If you could just stay busy, keep your mind occupied, you'll never have to feel anxious. In fact, psychologists tell us that there's a brand new anxiety disorder in our culture, which is when we are separated from our cell phones, that, that we can, uh, there's an increased level of anxiety in our life. Now, at the 930 service, I asked, how many of you have that anxiety when you're separated from your cell phone? And only like three people were like me. And I was like, I don't believe you. So how many of you will be honest? You leave your house and forget your cell phone and your anxiety is going up. Come on, raise your hand. Okay, yeah, an honest service. Thank God, right? Like, 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 like just sitting alone, we don't know what to do in line if we're in line alone, right? Or like, like, like if I can't open, if I can't, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to stand in line and just stand here and do nothing for a minute, right? Like, what a, what a strange reality. Some of us, I think we can motivate our life. I'm just going to work hard. I'm going to stay busy. I'm going to keep going after things, and it's going to just distract me from my pain. So I never have to sit down and deal with what's broken in my life. I'll just stay busy. In fact, David's son, Solomon, tells us the, the, the meaninglessness of all this. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get out of all their work under the sun? I, I'm not trying to say work's bad, but I think here's what Solomon is saying, that if you and I think we can fill the whole of our life in brokenness by just work or just busyness, it won't satisfy. It won't, it won't, it won't meet our needs. I remember one of my kids last summer, we were at the beach, and they were having a bad day, and I said to my son, it was Carter, I said, why are you upset? And he said, because there's only two days left of vacation, and I'm depressed about it. How many of you have ever had that experience? You're like, oh, I'm almost going to have to go back to my real life. So not only am I going to be upset that i got to go back to my real life, I'm going to spend the last few days of this vacation miserable because I'm about to be miserable, and I want you to be miserable with me. We think if we can just stay busy and stay distracted. Listen, listen I think there's a difference between diligence and drivenness. Here's what diligence is in our life. Diligence is when I do my best and then I stop. But here's, here's what drivenness is. This is unhealthy. I do my best and I can't stop. <laughs> so, so diligence says I'm going to do my best and I'm going to take time. I'm going to have margin and boundaries in my life and all this. And drivenness says I can't stop. I can't stop. I won't stop. I got to answer that email. I got I to gotta answer that email. I got to answer that email. And I, I just want to, actually, I want to publicly thank my wife because last week she cleared out how many emails for me. I had, I had 6,000 unread emails. So I'm going to email you back any minute. But uh, she cleared them out with me, and I was like, you know what, baby? I'm not driven. I'm just diligent, you know? Most of them were emails to myself of what to do, you know? But some of you are, like, just fixated, right, and driven. And Listen, listen, we got to figure out not only not, uh, not medicating it or motivating it. Here's the third thing don't do. Don't do in my life. I don't want to. I don't want to say it with me. I don't want to what? I don't want to meditate on it. I'm going to rehearse that painful situation over and over and over again. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to dream about it. I'm going to rehearse it. I'm going to regurgitate it. <laughs> I'm going to memorize it. And not only do we get hurt by what happened to us in life, but we get hurt by our continued memory over it. 
And the Bible says God can set us free from that. In fact, the Bible warns against this in Ephesians 4, where, where Paul says, don't, let, don't, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't hold on to that, that bitterness, that difficulty, for, for that gives a foothold, a toehold, a challenging place in our life when we, when we just fixate on it. And we just meditate on it. And we go to bed thinking about it. And we go to bed, wake up thinking about it. And we give time and space to things that we ought to let go. I think that's a challenge. I remember as a kid, uh, <clears throat> my, my parents were totally against buying us a dog. Totally against it. And finally at age 12, <clears throat> I wore my mom and dad down. And they bought me a dog. And you don't know, my mom hates dogs. Hates them. In fact, the only rule with the dog was that she was going to do nothing with it. I had to feed it, uh, take it for walks, clean up after it, all that kind of stuff. How many know kids always promise to take care of their dogs? How many know? It's never true, but it's always a promise. I remember I, remember I grew up in upstate New York in Syracuse, which is a, one of the snowiest um, cities in the Northeast. And I remember when the dog, I'm not trying to be gross, but you go to the bathroom in the backyard and I had this shovel. I knew my dad didn't want me to leave it there. So I would just scoop it up and we had a fence and I just would, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. I just threw it over the fence. So I wanted to keep my dad happy and my mom happy. So, so I'd go to the bathroom, I'd throw it over the fence. And what happened about March was the, the weather thawed in Syracuse and my neighbor called. My dad walked me around the little block there, around into, and my, my backyard was a little bit elevated from my neighbor's backyard, and my neighbor had this garage that sat a little lower, and, and my neighbor pointed up at his garage roof, and my dad pointed up at his garage roof, and all on the roof of my neighbor's garage, just, and I didn't know what to do, so I thought maybe I could throw him off. I said to my dad, why would he do that? I don't get it, like. My dad's like, well, the neighbor thinks maybe, maybe you did it because it's right over our fence and, and we just, he doesn't have a dog and <laughs> we do and wasn't there last year and, and now, now, and there's nothing in our backyard and I, and so literally I had to get a stepladder. I'm up, I'm, how many know just because you throw it over the fence doesn't mean it goes away? And I'm convinced some of us just think if I just, if I don't deal with it, I don't give it to God. I don't, in a healthy way, process it. If I just chuck it away, then it's going to disappear, and I'm going to be able to click my heels, and everything's going to be, everything's going to be fixed, and that isn't true. T time doesn't just heal it. Doing the right things with time brings healing. So let me give you three quick things, and then I'll land the plane this weekend. If we don't deal with pain that way, here's how we do deal with pain. Here's the, here's the first thought this weekend. Just write it down. How do I deal with pain? I got to, come on, say it with me. I got to what? I got to... I got to face it, okay? I can't deny it. I can't, I can't say it isn't there. I can't say I'm going to avoid it. I can't, just, I, can't, I can't just take the shovel and throw it over the fence. I can't. I got to face it. This happened. This shouldn't have happened. Either a choice that I made or a choice that someone else made that, that came into my life. But whatever happened, I got to face this. I got to deal with it. And I got I to I gotta handle it, Okay? And I, I want to just say this. There's a difference in life between a wound and a scar. A scar is when a wound is healed. And sometimes people want to avoid life uh, and say they don't have any scars. But I want you to know, aren't you glad that God, God uses scars in our life? In fact, do you, know, do you know the most famous early Christian follower of Jesus was a man named Paul. He wrote so much of the Bible. 
And his story before being a Christ follower is of killing Christians. How many know this is a bad part on your resume when you're trying to become a pastor? I want to lead this church. Well, what did you used to do at your last job? I killed a lot of people who led churches. Well, I'm sorry, sir, we're moving in another direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't avoid it. In fact, if you read the book of Acts three long times, he tells the whole story where he says, listen, before I knew Jesus, I acted in ignorance. I opposed the church. I imprisoned believers. I oversaw the execution of one of the even earliest Christian followers, Stephen. I had a whole messed up life. But he told the story not to glory in his scars and his brokenness, but to say there is a God who can use people who have a story. I have great news this weekend, chapel. There is a God who can use people who have a past, who have a history, who have a broken we don't have to run away from that our scars don't disqualify us from his service but they qualify us to bring him glory and to be used of him right that's part of God's purpose in fact maybe just write this down I think it's true never follow a general without scars because that means they haven't been in a battle (laughs) part of life is having some scars you know the difference between a scar and a wound a scar is a sign that it's not it's not bleeding anymore okay God healed you from it. And I really believe God, God somehow in his purpose and plan uses the broken places and the mistakes and the, the things that we thought and did. And what, no, 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 and God uses them for his purpose. So you gotta, you gotta face it, okay? You gotta, you gotta face it. All right, here's the second thing. Here's the second thing, how, how to deal with pain. Here's the second thing. You gotta, you gotta, come on, you gotta what? You gotta, you gotta forgive it. Now, I know this is hard because you're here this week and you're like, forgive. I don't want to forgive. And let me tell you what forgiveness is not, and then I'll tell us what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not saying that what that person did wasn't a big deal. Forgiveness is not saying what that person did was okay. Forgiveness is not saying what that person did is excusable. And forgiveness is not even minimizing what they did. Forgiveness is just saying that God has forgiven me a lot. And rather than letting this thing control me, I'm going to have to learn to forgive it. In fact, Paul says this in Philippians 3, this one thing I do, I forget the past and I look to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I got to forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. Here's what forgetting is. It's not literally not remembering. It's just not letting that thing have power over you anymore. Right? You get the difference? Forgiving isn't saying I don't have a memory of that. It's saying that thing that used to have power in my life doesn't have power anymore in our life. In fact, just write this down. Until you let the past die, it will not let your future live, okay? So you have to learn to forgive. I'll never forget one of my elementary moments where I had to learn to forgive. One of my good friends who lived close to us went to the same school as me, and we were in third grade together. His name was Christian Fergali. And um, we had, um, in, in our third grade class, we had a desk where you could store some, um, some supplies. But, you know, you had extra school supplies, so there was a back part of the room behind a curtain where everyone had their name and different school supplies stored. And my teacher came to me and said, Brandon, you didn't bring your Elmer's glue. So, and I said, well, I did bring my Elmer's glue, and I know it, and I remember it. And, and I went in the back, and here's what Christian had done. He had erased my initials off of the Elmer's glue and put his initials. I could kind of see it. Because my initials are B.S., 
I'm just going to let that settle in for a minute here. This morning, a preacher, that's BS. And, and, I, and I'm on the back, and I'm looking, and I know he stole my glue. And this is, let me tell you, this hurt me, because Christian and I, we hung out. We had freeze pops together in the summertime. Went to the pool together. You know, Christian, if you wanted, to, if you wanted my glue and you would have asked me like a man, I would have given you my glue. But how are you going to do me like this? Okay, behind my back, you're going to erase my initials off of my glue and put your initials on my glue. And, and I remember that was a real problem in third grade. I remember in sixth grade, that's when you graduate elementary school because six up there was still in elementary in New York. And, and sixth grade graduation, I looked at Christian, and I remember still being mad about Elmer's glue. Like I've held it for three years. I'm still mad and hurt at him for a $1.99 thing of glue. I can't believe you'd do me like this. I trusted you like a brother. You stole my Elmer's glue. You made me look like a liar in front of my teacher. You know that's my glue. God's, I, every day, I just hope that God, I hope your grades are bad, your life is bad. Remember how the nurse checked us for lice? I hope you have it. All that. Come on, somebody, right? Let's get real. $1.99 glue, right? And, I, and I'm, weirdly enough, I'm at sixth grade graduation looking at Christian thinking, why'd you steal my glue? Holding on to it. Anybody ever held on to something stupid like that? Okay, just 11 of us. Okay. How many know it's easy to say to forgive? It's hard to forgive, okay? But I want you to just look at this. I think this was my thought. If I forgive him, it's okaying what he did. But just look at this. I think it'll help us. Forgiveness doesn't make them right. It just makes us free, Okay. So forgiveness doesn't say it was okay to steal my glue. Dude, you shouldn't have stole my glue. And on the judgment day of Christ, you're going to give an account. And Christian, if you're watching on our Vimeo page, it's time to come clean, okay? Forgiveness doesn't make him right for stealing my glue, but it does make me free so that I'm not a 40-year-old pastor still carrying it on the stage, right? For some of us here today, you faced it. Now it's time to forgive it. In fact, Peter came to Jesus one day, and I think because he was using a, a biblical number, the number of seven, I think he thought Jesus was going to be proud of him when he was telling Jesus how many times he'd forgive someone. Seven. I think Peter, I think it's a drop the mic moment for Peter, like seven times. Wow. Watch this. And he's waiting for Jesus to say, way to go. Seven times. Whoa. Jesus says, no, 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 let me drop some... Jesus math on you. 70 times 7. 409. Basically what he's saying is you're going to have to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive because we've been forgiven much. We can forgive. Anybody in this room grateful that God hasn't treated you as your sins deserve. Anybody, anybody, anybody grateful that God hasn't treated us fairly, right? He's given us grace. So Jesus says, how can you who've been forgiven this big debt hold a little debt in comparison? No, no, no. Those who have been forgiven much forgive much. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people what? Come on. Forgive. Come on, let's say that twice together. Forgiven people Forgive. Forgiven people. Forgive. That's what they do. And it doesn't, it's not saying that was okay, but it's saying I'm not going to be held hostage by the bitterness of my own life. All right. Here's the last thought, last thought, and then we're going to respond this weekend. How do I deal with pain? I got I to gotta follow Jesus away from it. 
You know, Jesus says to one guy in John chapter 5, do you want to get well? And it's such a weird statement to say. Why would you say to somebody who's sick, do you want to get well? No, I love it. But I think what he was realizing is some of us have gotten so used to the, we've gotten used to our pain and the, we, it's like a pet. We nurse, we, we pet the peeves, you know what I mean? We, we, we nurse the wounds. Here's the challenge this week, and if we're going to face it and we're going to forgive it, we're going to have to follow Jesus, and he's not going to stand next to it and say, let's live there anymore. He's going to say, it's time to move into a future. It's time to let some things go. Have you ever met somebody that couldn't get over the past? (laughs) Whether it's good or bad, you know what I mean? Good or bad. You got the guy who's 49 years old, still wearing the varsity jacket, talking about the big game. You're like, dude, I'm going to need you. No one cares. No one cares. Good or bad, you can't live in the past. How many know you can't live in the past? And because of the promises and possibility of God, the best is in our future. I, I heard somebody say the other day, our best stories are about to be written. I, I just wanted to speak that almost prophetically over your life this weekend. Hey, the best stories about God and his work in your life and in your family are yet to be written. They're about to be written. And you can't stay stuck in that moment in pain. You have to let it go. And yet, because you can't stay in the past to get in the future. You can't, be, you can't be looking backwards and move forwards. So Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm moving on. You can either stay with your junk or move on with it. What, what if this weekend we didn't deny our pain? We didn't ignore our wounds. But what if we said, I'm going to face it. I'm going to forgive it. But then I'm going to follow Jesus away from it. Anybody willing to do that this weekend? Anybody willing to say, I'm going to face it, I'm going to forgive it, but I'm going to follow Jesus, and he's leading me away from it. He can can help us do that. Come on, let me pray for us this morning. So, Lord, you know every hurt and pain. You know every challenge brought into this room. You know every challenge brought into downtown. So, God, I just pray for your grace to help us look at the challenges. We've all had them. To face them, God to make the bold choice to forgive because you've forgiven us so much. And now this weekend, God, a bunch of us are following you away from it. No turning back. Pass behind me into all you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.